Well, good morning, Harmony. So glad uh, that you can be with us and so thankful again for God's really good gift of technology that is allowing us to worship together during this very, very interesting uh, time. So again, so glad that uh, we can join. And uh, I want to just take some time here uh, today before we get to the message to uh, spend some time uh, in prayer. And so I just want to let you know that this is going to be a little bit uh, longer uh, perhaps than normal, but I want us to take some time here just to really go before the Father and to praise Him and to thank Him and also to make our request known uh, to Him. So I just want to encourage you uh, right now, and, and I know you might not like this, but I just want to encourage you to stand up if at all possible, and uh, this will shake things up a little bit and um, allow us to, to stand before the Lord and really just to uh, come together as a body spread all over the place and to lift our prayers up to him. So I'm going to pray, but I want to encourage you to closely follow along with me. I'm going to go through some different uh, really categories, different types of prayer, things to pray for, and uh, perhaps you can just uh, follow along with those uh, with me and uh, pray along with me. So let's go uh, before the Father now. Uh, Father, we, we come to you today, and we begin by telling you how much we are thankful for you and how much we love you. And we just want to adore you really, Lord, and praise you for your just so many wonderful attributes, for your grace, for your mercy, for your compassion, for your power, for your love, for your long suffering and patience with us. Father, we just today lift these praises up to you. Lord, we thank you for your providence in our lives. We thank you for just the way that you sustain us. We thank you for the good gifts that you give us of, of food and a place to live, a roof over our head, for family. We thank you for your church. We thank you for uh, just your provision for us on a day-by-day -day basis in so many different ways. In, in many times, in many instances, we are just, quite honestly, Lord, we just we forget about how good you are and all the good things that you have given to us. Most of all today, Lord, though, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for his death in our place. We thank you for his resurrection and that through faith in him, we can have new life. We thank you that you have promised you're never going to leave us, never going to forsake us. And we thank you that there's a day coming soon where you're, you're going to come back and you're going to renew this earth and you're going to take us to be with you forever. Lord, we want to pray this morning uh, that that day will come soon. Lord, our hearts cry out, particularly in, in times like these, how long, Lord, until that's going to happen? So we want to say, come, Lord Jesus. Now, Father, I want to bring some very specific requests to you today. I want to lift up to you our government authorities. I want to pray for President Trump and Vice President Pence. I want to pray for um, our, our Congress and our senators. And, Lord, we just want to pray particularly for, for Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi and their significant role that they are playing uh, right now. We want to pray for Governor Reynolds, and we want to pray uh, for our, our senators here uh, in, in Iowa, Senator Grassley and Senator Ernst. Lord, we want to pray that you will give all of our leaders, uh, whether it be at the national or the state or, or the local level, Lord, we want to pray that you give them great wisdom right now to, to know how to rule and how to govern. We, we recognize that you have put them in the positions that you've, you've put them in, Lord, that they have right now because of you. That's, that's where you have them. And so, Lord, we pray that they will govern with, again, with wisdom, 
We pray for humility. Uh, We pray for strength. We pray for endurance. And we pray that you'll just bless us through them as you have in many times in the past. Lord, I want to pray that you will be those who are struggling, especially right now, uh, financially. Uh, Perhaps those who've lost their their job already uh, because of what's going on or who perhaps are seeing that that's uh, coming down the road or or fretful that that's going to be the case. Uh, We think of uh, small business owners, especially here in our community, um, who uh, are struggling already because of what's going on. Lord, we want to pray that you will provide. We also want to pray that they will trust you. And I pray that you will work in their lives and give them comfort and give them grace as they wait on you. Lord, we want to pray for those who are struggling physically. Uh, We know, of course, there are many people who are struggling physically with the virus, uh, but there are many others who are struggling because they've got other issues, and this is complicating that. Lord, we pray for those who perhaps uh, have surgeries that they want or need to have. Lord, we want to pray for those who maybe are having a baby or going to have a baby, and uh, we just pray that you'll give them comfort and protect and watch over them. We pray for those in our body who are particularly sick, Lord, and I think uh, especially today of, of Mason Roberts. And we just want to pray, Lord, for your healing in his life and, and for you to give he and his mom and his dad, Cole and Aaron and his sister Lexi, grace and strength and hope. And Lord, we pray that you will do a mighty work, a mighty miracle to heal Mason. We also pray that you will sustain this dear family in this time. Lord, we know that there are many others who are struggling with cancer, who are struggling with other various maladies and difficulties. We pray for strength and grace in their lives. Lord, we want to pray for those who are uh, shut-ins right now. We know in some ways we're all shut-in, but particularly those who maybe are in a nursing home or other facility where outside visitors are not allowed in. Lord, I pray that you'll give them comfort and give them grace. Help them to know that you are with them. Lord, we all need your presence. We pray, pray specifically for those are especially lonely right now. Lord, we want to pray that you will provide for your church. And I'm talking about a church corporately, of course, but I'm also talking about us individually. And Lord, that we will lean on you and we'll rely on you and that we will continue to trust in you and to be generous during this time. And Lord, now as we open up your word, we want to pray that you will give us a special word from you. And I want to pray that particularly now my Uh, my words, my thoughts might be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. It's in Jesus Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. All right, uh, please grab your Bible and uh, turn with me to the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, uh, or if you prefer Habakkuk or Habakkuk or Chewbacca or whatever you want to call it as nobody really knows how to say it. So whatever you choose will just be fine and dandy. Uh, Since you're probably having a little hard time finding it um, uh, and maybe you're not too familiar, in my Bible, it's page 867, uh, or uh, maybe it's just better to look in the table of contents. I'm guessing uh, most of us probably have not heard too many sermons from Habakkuk, if any, uh, in our entire lifetime. In fact, this may be the only sermon you will ever hear uh, from Habakkuk, or at least series in your lifetime. Now, I know in the video we posted earlier this week, I said that we were 
going to be in Luke 16 today. Uh, but on Friday, as I uh, continued to wrestle with how to lead our church through these current days, I, I felt the Lord leading me to put aside the message that I already prepared and to begin a series in this little known minor prophet. You need to know that uh, I really went back and forth on this as A, uh, I've never scrapped a message before and B, uh, preparing one is a lot of work and uh, did I say that it was Friday morning? Did I already say that? Well, anyway, it was clear uh, that this was the direction that the Lord wanted me to go. So I hesitatingly put aside Luke 16 and began to work on a new series we've entitled Trusting God in Troubling Times. Trusting God in Troubling Times. You see, Habakkuk was a book that was written during a time when God's people were facing some exceedingly difficult days. And so it has a whole lot of application for our current situation. And there were three primary things that contributed to the difficult times that Habakkuk addresses. First, there was rampant immorality amongst the people of Judah, including an immense amount of injustice and violence, particularly toward those who were attempting to faithfully follow God. Second, there was a famine, one in which people were running low not only on toilet paper, but essentials like food and, and water. So, you know, now we've already had two TP jokes here this morning. I promise there will be no more, all right? But we need to understand that the people of Judah were in a time where they, they literally were really scraping the, the bottom of the barrel, all right? They didn't have enough to eat, not even close. Third, and most significantly, there was a threat of an impending invasion, one in which many people would be killed and most of those remaining carried off into captivity, it was an invasion that would ultimately leave the nation in ruins for years to come. In fact, it was a invasion, an invasion that the nation of Israel, the people of Judah, would really never fully recover from. So in a word, Habakkuk was written to people who were facing a world of hurt, uncertainty, and trouble. And it was written to give these people the hope and the help they needed to trust God in the midst of these troubling times. Here then is the outline uh, for the series. There's three chapters in Habakkuk, and we're going to do one, Lord willing, each of the next three Sundays. So today, chapter one, next week, chapter two, and then we'll complete, conclude the series in chapter three in two weeks. And hopefully, hopefully on the fourth week then, which is Easter, we will be all back together uh, again to be able to celebrate. Now, I'm going to read chapter one and make a few uh, comments uh, as I go along. And then we'll talk about three things we learn from this chapter that will enable us to trust God in these troubling times we're living in. Verse one says this, follow along with me. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. The word oracle can also be translated burden. Habakkuk has a burden and it's a heavy one. And why does he have this heavy burden? Well, verse two, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? 
Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk uh, is unique amongst the Old Testament prophets. All the other Old Testament prophetic books really are just a uh, revelation from God to the prophet, and then the prophet goes and, and preaches to a group of people, normally the, the people of Israel, all right? Habakkuk is different in that it is really just a dialogue, a conversation between Habakkuk and God. They go back and forth throughout this short book. And essentially, in the first two chapters, all we see Habakkuk doing is complaining. Here in chapter 1, he's complaining to God about how corrupt God's people have become and how it seems like God isn't doing anything about it. Uh, we need to see that this is personal for Habakkuk. We can see this particularly in verse 3 where the words iniquity and wrong uh, can also both be translated either sorrow or grief. Habakkuk is, is in anguish. He, he is a, really experiencing kind of a sense of betrayal, we might call it. He's in deep pain. He, he's, he's suffering and he doesn't understand why God is allowing it. He doesn't understand why God seems to be not paying any attention to him whatsoever. He's not doing anything about Habakkuk's suffering. And he's saying, why, God, aren't you rescuing me? Now, in response, note what God says. So verse 5, this is God speaking now. And he says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. This verse is one of the uh, two very famous verses in Habakkuk. The other one we'll see next week in chapter 2. And this is a verse here, verse 5, that I would call kind of a Christian bookstore verse. It's one that you probably have seen on coffee mugs or on t-shirts or um, put in picture frames, all right? However, when that is the case, in most instances, people really aren't understanding the context in which it was written and what it's really pointing to, what this big, unbelievable thing is that God is actually going to do. And so what exactly is God going to do? Well, Look at verse six, for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. In, in a word, God says, yeah, I'm going to do this amazing thing, this unbelievable thing. 
that even if I told you what it was, you, you, know, you would say, no, that that's not the case. You know what that thing is? I'm going to come and I'm going to send these Chaldeans and they're going to annihilate you. So go and put that on a t-shirt, right? Going to sell a lot of t-shirts, right? God's going to do this amazing thing. Can't wait to see it. Oh, by the way, he's going to kill all of you. Now, there's more to it than that. And we'll see that here in just a moment. But God gives Habakkuk an answer and it's not exactly the answer that Habakkuk is looking for. And so note how Habakkuk responds in verse 12. Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. Now Habakkuk seems here to start out pretty well, right? He affirms that God is eternal, that God is his God, that God is the Holy One, that God's going to, keep his covenant, that God is ordaining all of these events in order to discipline his people, in order to reprove them, to refine them. So Habakkuk starts here in what we might call his second complaint on a good note, but then notice how he pivots and he starts complaining again. Verse 13, you are of pure eyes and to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them, he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? We'll go one verse into chapter two. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So here's what Habakkuk is saying. All right, God, I, I affirm you're, you're maybe uh, up to some good purposes here, but I've still got a problem. I can kind of see what you're doing here, but I don't understand why you're going to use a nation that's wicker than us to punish us. The key verse is verse 13. You can look at it again. Habakkuk essentially says, hey, God, your eyes are pure. You know, you're, you're holy. You can't look at evil. And then why, therefore, are you going to use a nation that is much eviler than we are, much wickeder than we are, to punish us? God, this seems really, really unjust. So, so just to put this into um, some context for us here, help us understand, this, this would be like um, God using a North Korea to come in and to conquer the United States and to wipe out a whole bunch of us and to carry the rest of us into captivity over in East Asia, all right? If that were to happen, or at least we would be told that that's what God was gonna do, we were saying, uh, what are you talking about? There's no way that God can do that. Why, why would God allow that to happen? Why would God allow these people who are much more wicked than we are to bring devastation to us. 
Now, we will see how God answers Habakkuk next week. How God gives his second answer next week. But for now, for today, I want to share three things we learn here in chapter one that can help us to trust God in troubling times. First, we learn that God's always in control. Harmony, let us learn from Habakkuk that no matter how bad things might be, God is sovereign over absolutely everything that happens to us. Habakkuk and his fellow countrymen are seemingly about to lose everything with no way to avoid it. They're facing an unimaginable catastrophe, and yet both God and Habakkuk affirm that this is part of God's plan. They insist that God is directing events to accomplish his good purposes. Not just his purposes, but his good purposes. There are two places, and this is revealed here in chapter 1, and we'll look at them in reverse order that they come in the text. First, in verse 12, Habakkuk affirms that God's people will not die. By dying here, Habakkuk isn't referring to physical death, but rather to the death of God's promises to them. He's talking about the fact that they won't stop becoming God's people no matter what happens to them. God's going to keep his covenant, and Habakkuk is affirming that. He also affirms that God has ordained, in other words, ascending the Chaldeans for the purpose of judgment and reproof. In other words, he's sending the Chaldeans not to destroy God's people, but to refine them. Now, unlike Habakkuk, uh, I'm not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet. Although I guess I do work for a non-profit ministry. Did you catch that? Hopefully you're laughing right now. I have no idea if you're laughing or not. I'm just going to assume that you are. Anyway, since I'm not a prophet, I can't say for sure why God has ordained the circumstances we're currently facing. I can't tell you exactly what his purposes are for the coronavirus and everything that's coming about because of it. But I can tell you that one of his purposes is to refine us. It's to get our attention and to draw us to him. Maybe I can even say back to him. By the way, I'm not talking about our country in general. I'm talking about God's people. I'm talking about the church. Does our country need refinement? Of course it does. Does our country need to be drawn to God? Of course it does. But let's not miss that we as the church do as well. In fact, if our country is to be drawn back to God, then we as the church have to be drawn back to God first. Why is that? Because God works in this world through his church. And so if our country is going to come back to him, or maybe come to him in the first place, then we have to come back to him. We have to be drawn to him. We have to be refined. Regardless, please hear this. I can tell you without a doubt that no matter what happens, God will not abandon us. We will not stop being his people. He will never, ever stop working in us and for us. All of God's promises are still yes in Jesus. 
My brothers and sisters, what I'm talking about in a corporate sense now is also true in a personal sense. Now, I, I know uh, that many of you are struggling right now, maybe financially, maybe it's with fear or worry, maybe it's physically, maybe it's relationally. I know that there's a lot of struggle, there's a lot of difficulty, there's a lot of uncertainty, but I just want to let you know that God's promises to you are all still yes in Jesus. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose for your life, and he's still going to carry that on. That has not changed in the last two weeks, and it will never change. God's plan for you and his promises to you can never change. They are still yes in Jesus. Now, second, verses five through six, God makes it clear that he is the one sending the Chaldeans. I want you to look at these verses again, all right? God says this, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Now, this is something that Habakkuk has a real problem with. And it's something that we can often have a real problem with too. We can really struggle at times to see how God can use hard things, even evil things, to accomplish his purposes. All right, now I want to be clear about something here. I'm not saying, the Bible's not saying that God is the author of evil or that God is responsible for evil or that God causes evil. No, but God is sovereign over evil and he uses evil to accomplish his good purpose. All right, and so we've got to understand this, all right, that, that evil things happen, there's real evil, there's real suffering, there's real difficulty. And while God doesn't cause those things, God does use those things to accomplish his purpose. So here's a little history lesson, all right? The Chaldeans uh, would take the Jews into captivity, uh, and, and over the years, the Jews would then really spread all throughout the world. And wherever they would go throughout the world, they would establish synagogues for worship. Over times in these synagogues, the, the Jews would be joined by God-fearing Gentiles. And these God-fearing Gentiles would become the people who were the most receptive to the gospel. So in, in a couple months, at least our plan is at this point is we're going to study the book of Acts. And as we walk through Acts, we're going to see that over and over again, uh, when the Apostle Paul was carrying the gospel all around the world, the first thing that he would do every time he went into a city is he would go to the synagogue. And, and most time we went to the synagogue, okay, there would be some people who would reject him and some people who would accept him. And, and most often the people who would accept him, okay, were Gentiles, God-fearing Gentiles. And these believers would be, be a part of founding the first church. And they would also be then the people who spread, who God used to spread the gospel all around the world. And we can see really that this happens all throughout the early centuries of the church. All right. So, so here's how it worked. The Babylonians took the Jews into captivity the Jews converted many Gentiles. The Greeks came to power, making the Greek international uh, the Greek making Greek the international language of the day, 
And then the Romans came to power and created a road system that connected the world. And guess what? You have believers everywhere with a Bible in the language of the day and easy access to every major location. And that's how the gospel spread and Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. And none of this would have happened, get this, none of this would have happened if the Chaldeans hadn't invaded and taken the Jews into captivity. Now, if you didn't follow all of that, it's okay. Just get this. Habakkuk couldn't see what God was up to, and yet he was up to something big, something huge. What the Chaldeans planned for evil, God was going to use for something good, the saving of many souls. And so listen, Harmony, we may not know what God is doing right now, but we can trust it's something big. It's something good. And it's something that's going to lead to the saving of souls. I have to tell you um, that personally, I'm very concerned about what's going on. I'm concerned for our world. I'm concerned for our nation. I'm concerned for our church, our community. I'm concerned for my family, right? There's real concern, but I'm also really looking forward to what God is going to do in the days ahead. Because I'm sure, I'm confident that he's going to do some amazing things. I can't wait to see what those things are. By the way, if you're a believer, you can apply this to anything that happens in your life. No matter what you go through, God is up to something good. God is going to accomplish his purposes in your life and through your life, and those purposes will be really, really good. So in the words of the the old hymn, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take, The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. The second thing we learn that can help us to trust God in troubling times is that God invites us to bring our troubles to him. Here in chapter one, Habakkuk repeatedly pours out his confusion, despair, and frustration to God. His emotions are intense and raw. As over and over again, he says to God, I don't get it. I don't understand what you're doing. I don't know why you're allowing this to happen to me. Let me ask, have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like this? If so, have you ever expressed yourself to God the way that Habakkuk does? Have you? If not, I want to encourage you to learn to do so. Actually, God wants you to learn to do so. Let me give you three things that are necessary if you're going to. Number one, you have to be honest with God about your struggles. You have to tell him how you're feeling. Note that that Habakkuk here in our text doesn't pull any punches. He openly asks God questions. He actually borders on being disrespectful. In in a sense, he he gets right up and shakes his his fist in God's face. 
One commentator says that in verse 12, Habakkuk makes the most insulting comment to God in the entire Bible. And yet, do we ever see God rebuking Habakkuk? We don't in chapter one, and I'll just let you in here. We don't in chapter two or chapter three either. Nowhere do we see God rebuking Habakkuk. Apparently, God is okay with Habakkuk's questions. He's okay with Habakkuk expressing his struggles. You see, we, we often, way too often, give in to the idea that we can't question God. Oh, we, we have questions, but we feel like it's sinful to openly ask those questions of him. We think it's unspiritual. We think, you don't ask questions. You don't wrestle with doubt. You just pull up your bootstraps and you soldier on, right? We, we, we were really good at being stoic and, and not allowing our emotions to get the best of us. What Habakkuk is showing us is that sometimes we, we need to allow our emotions to get the best of us when it comes to our relationship with God. Here we see Habakkuk openly questioning and wrestling with God. At the same time, and this is number two, you have to be honest with God in the context of trust. So there are two extremes that we have to avoid. We have to avoid not asking the questions. We also have to avoid allowing the questions to lead us to walk away. Let me, let me say this. There's actually a third problem where you actually combine these two, and I'm, I've seen this happen a lot. Uh, when, when you don't ask the questions for, for long enough, what it can all too easily lead you to do is actually to, to walk away. Uh, if I could just say a word here to parents, this is why uh, it's important for us to allow our kids to ask questions, uh, to encourage them that, that it's okay uh, to struggle, that, that doubt can actually even be a good thing as long as we, we bring that doubt to God and we wrestle with it in, in the context of moving toward him, not away from him. So that's really what I'm trying to get across here. So we need to bring our questions to God. We need to bring our struggles. We need to wrestle openly with him, but we need to do that as we move towards him, not away from him. Note that Habakkuk questions God, but he does so because he believes that God will answer. One of the reasons that I really believe Habakkuk is in so much pain here is because he believes that God is holy. He believes that God is good. He believes that God is for him and his people. And yet it doesn't seem that God's actually acting in that way. So, so he's really frustrated and hurting and in despair because he actually does believe in God. And so he takes those questions there and he brings them to God. And you guess, guess what? As a result, what we're going to see throughout this book is that Habakkuk begins to grow in his faith. He begins to grow in his understanding of who God is and what he is doing. Now, it's interesting that Habakkuk actually doesn't get the answers he wants, but he does get the answers that he needs. See, God doesn't always give us the answers that we want, but he always does. If we approach him, if we question him in the context of trust, give us the answers that we need. Third, we have to see God's grace. I've already alluded to this, but God doesn't rebuke Habakkuk for his questions. Instead, he records those questions in the Bible. So, so just think about that for a second. Don't miss that. In fact, this is something that we see over and over again in the Bible. From Job to David to Jeremiah. Over and over again, they question, they complain, 
and they lament. And we're never given the idea that God has a problem with it, but rather encourages it. You see, Habakkuk would have only had a conversation with God like this if he knew something about God's grace. You don't tell God that you're going to sit back, okay, like he does in chapter 2 and verse 1, that you're going to sit back and you're going to wait until he answers you <laughs> unless that you believe God is a God of grace, right? You never say that to God if you don't believe there's a God. And you never say that if you don't believe that the God that you believe in is actually a God of grace and not just going to smite you and kill you, all right? One of the reasons why I probably say many of us don't do what we see Habakkuk doing here. We, we don't question and struggle and, and bring, our, bring our issues and our despair and our suffering to the Lord is because we really don't fundamentally believe that he is a God of grace. We don't believe that we can do that and that he will receive us and not rebuke us, maybe even just cast us off. My friends, God is a God of grace. Habakkuk knows that, and that's what enables him to come to God and not to have to worry about being perfect and saying the right things, but really just to, to say what he's feeling. And, and I just want to point out to you, uh, by the way, that, that God knows what you're feeling. So you may as well just speak it and tell him. You know, you're not hiding it from him, even if you're not speaking it. He knows your feeling. He knows your struggles. So share your struggles with him. So let me say this. We'll be on to the next point. I know that right now you might have a lot of questions you would like to ask God. I want to encourage you to ask them, to cry out to him, to tell him you don't understand, to ask him why he is allowing this to happen, to say to him, like Habakkuk, how long, O Lord? We see that over and over in the Bible. How long, O Lord? But as you ask these questions, ask them trusting in his grace, trusting that in time he will answer and grow your, you in your understanding of who he is and what he is doing. If you will do that, I can guarantee that while you may not get the answers you want, you'll get the answers that you need. You get the answers that you need because you'll get him. And that, my friends, at the end of the day, is the only thing that we truly need. Let me tell you about George and Susanna Mueller for a second. You may have heard of George Mueller. He and his wife, Susanna, ran a uh, pretty well-known orphanage in England in the 19th century. Uh, this couple was famous for never once asking for donations to run the orphanage. Never asked for money. All they did is pray. And God regularly, over and over again, just provided in miraculous ways. You may not know, however, that Susanna actually passed away at the age of 57 from rheumatic fever. Of course, this would have been devastating to her husband. And yet, what's interesting is that George actually preached Susanna's funeral. And he preached from this passage, Psalm 119.68 which says this, you are good and do good. How are you able to do that at your wife's funeral? You're preaching your wife's funeral and you do it on the text that God is good and he does good. How do you do that? Because you brought your struggles to the Lord. You've wrestled with him openly and you have found that in doing so, he is good and he always does good. The third 
the most important thing that we can learn that can help us to trust God in troubling times is that God brings salvation out of trouble. God brings salvation out of trouble. Now we have to go a little further into Habakkuk for the prophet to see this. But as people who possess the New Testament, we do not. And we do not because of an amazing passage in Acts 13 where the Apostle Paul is preaching in a synagogue. He's talking about Jesus and he says this. He whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So, so this, friends, uh, is the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus Christ died and rose again and whoever believes in him finds forgiveness and freedom. I just want to say, if you're uh, by chance or by God's ordaining it, <laughs> you are watching this online uh, today just because you saw something um, on social media or you had a friend recommended to you or you didn't have anything else to do this morning. You just happened to find us. I just want to say, if you're wondering what Harvey Bible Church is about, if you're wondering what Christianity is about, if you're wondering what the Bible is all about, this is what it's about, okay? It, it, it's about forgiveness and freedom that comes through believing in Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose again. And if you've never placed your faith in these truths, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I just wanna urge you right here, right now to believe. And if you do, forgiveness and freedom will be yours both now and forever. And that said, what I really want to show you is what Paul says next in Acts 13. He continues, Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Sound familiar? It should, because Paul's quoting Habakkuk 1.5 and in doing so, revealing that when God told Habakkuk all those years before that he was going to do something Habakkuk wouldn't believe, he was ultimately talking about Jesus. He was talking about how he would do something unfathomable, how he would send his son to take the judgment for our sin so that through faith in him, we might be saved. Now, Habakkuk never got this, this full story, this full picture but I'm sure that when Habakkuk got to heaven, he said, now I know why you said I wouldn't believe it. <laughs> of course I wouldn't believe it. I, I wouldn't have believed that you were going to send your son, that, that, that you, God, was going to become flesh, was going to become a man, and then was going to live a perfect life and die on a cross. And through that, that was your plan to bring about salvation. See, here in chapter one, Habakkuk is saying, I don't see... How are you going to bring good out of trouble? What God is saying is that you're not going to believe this, but I'm going to do so through the cross. You know, I'm sure that as uh, the disciples stood staring at Jesus hanging on the cross, they couldn't imagine what good could come from it. I'm sure that just like Habakkuk, they were saying, what in the world are you doing, God? Where are you at right now? And you know what? They didn't get the answer that day. And they didn't get the answer the next day. 
They didn't get the answer the day after that. But on the third day, they did. They got the answer because Jesus came back from the dead. And when he came back from the dead, he told them that now forgiveness of sins is going to be preached to everyone. It's going to be made available to everyone. That in his death and resurrection, salvation was being made available to the world. Now, what does this have to do with trusting God in troubling times? I want you to listen here. I'm almost done, but please listen here. Brothers and sisters, if God was working salvation in the darkest moment in history, then we can trust that he's working salvation in this moment in history. If through the greatest injustice, the greatest travesty, the greatest disaster ever, God was working to bring us the greatest possible good, then we can trust that he's going to bring us good no matter what we face in life. I would submit that the greatest challenge we face in difficult times is feeling like God has abandoned us. It's feeling like Habakkuk did. Feeling like God is sitting idly by while we suffer. But when we wrestle with these feelings, we have to remember that this is actually all that they are. They're feelings. Now, feelings are real, but that doesn't mean they actually reflect reality. And our feelings of abandonment aren't reality because on the cross, God abandoned Jesus in order that he might not abandon us. I bring this to you all the time, and I'm just going to continue to do so. On the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, God did sit by while his son suffered. He did refuse to intervene. He did abandon Jesus. And you know why he did, right? He abandoned Jesus in order that he might never abandon us. In order, according to Hebrews 13, that he might never leave us nor forsake us. So how do we trust God in troubling times? We do so by looking to the cross and seeing that in the most troubling time ever, God was bringing about our salvation. God was guaranteeing that in every troubling time we face in life, he was going to be with us and he was gonna use that trouble for our good. If you're a believer then, the application in these troubling times is to look at Jesus, not at your troubles. Look at Jesus, not at your troubles. If I can quote another guy from the 19th century, pastor named Robert Murray McShane, I'm really going to actually adapt his quote. But it goes like this. For every one look at your troubles, take 10, 10 looks at Christ. For every one of your troubles, take 10 looks at Christ. Look at the salvation God has brought you through his son and allow that to lead you to trust him in the days ahead. On the other hand, here's my closing word. Again, if you're not a believer... The application is to become one today. It's very, very possible that one of the reasons that God has brought about the coronavirus is to get your attention, is to show you your need for a savior, your need for Jesus. So if you've never placed your faith in him, and experience the forgiveness and freedom that he brings, I urge you again to do so right now. If you do, no matter what trouble you face now, 
or in the days ahead, you can know that God is using it to bring about your salvation. Will you join me here in prayer?